My name is Andres Inchuk, and I'm an assistant professor of medicine at Yale University. Part of my day job is taking care of critically ill patients in the medical intensive care unit at Yale Hospital. And the other part is taking care of people with sleep apnea. Dr. Zinchuk, are you a good sleeper? I am a good sleeper most of the time. So I have to confess that just like all humans, there are times where I don't sleep well. I fell in love with sleep medicine back in my residency. The reason why that happened is I am I'm an engineer by training. I was a chemical engineer in uh, college and worked in the industry. I worked at Procter & Gamble and I worked at Pfizer before I went to medicine. And when I was in medicine, what I really found interesting areas where different disciplines intersected and sleep medicine is just one of those areas. So we intersect with neurology, psychiatry, psychology, endocrinology, all the aspects of life are affected by sleep. And so that drew me immensely to this area and also partly because it wasn't explored as much as the rest of medicine. And so those are the key reasons why I do what I do. There are different types of sleep apnea, and what we're going to focus on today is a new way to treat sleep apnea rather than just relying on those cumbersome CPAP machines. You can't treat a disorder if you don't know that you have it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, most recent study that was done in 2021 was trying to estimate how many people in the world have sleep apnea. And it turns out that one in seven humans have sleep apnea worldwide, which is a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> and if we think about all the dysfunction that comes with untreated sleep apnea, such as people having a hard time concentrating, being more irritable, and then beyond the symptoms, risks of heart disease, risk of stroke, risk of diabetes, risk of car accidents. I mean, the implications are tremendous. What about COVID too? If you got COVID and you had undiagnosed sleep apnea, hmm, I wonder. Yeah, and, and so we are just learning what the relationship between COVID and obstructive sleep apnea, and there are some preliminary findings of studies suggest that if you do have sleep apnea, you might have worse outcomes, but you don't know this for sure yet. I, I think that the verdict's still to be determined. I mean, part of the problem with sleep apnea and doing these studies that are done currently is that with COVID is that sleep apnea oftentimes is associated with being obese or overweight. And so it's hard to distinguish what is the problem with sleep apnea and what is the problem with obesity when it comes to COVID. Tell me about Inspire. Inspire is actually a company. Inspire is a company that makes something called hypoglossal nerve stimulator. And that's a mouthful and you don't have to <laughs> probably ever hear that word again. But essentially what it is, it's, uh, it's like a pacemaker for the tongue. And the reason why the tongue's involved, which tongue has been a problem for many reasons in the world, but uh, mm -hmm. in this case, it, it is the major muscle that keeps the airway open at night if it works and makes it obstructed and leads to sleep apnea if it doesn't. And so when we fall asleep, the muscles around the airway that we breathe through at night relax. And as we lay flat on our back or on our side sometimes, those muscles essentially collapse into the breathing tube. And that collapse is what prevents flow from getting through, and sometimes it's complete. Inspire therapy, this upper airway stimulator, it's a pacemaker for the tongue. It moves the tongue forward as the person breathes and hopefully prevents a person from having these apneas. It doesn't work with every kind of sleep apnea, I understand. Yeah, that's right. And so it's an innovative treatment, and it was approved by the FDA, I believe, in 2015. 
And a whole bunch of these devices have been implanted, I believe, over 5,000 in the U.S. And it works for, for many people. And many people do prefer it to the current Boltzmann or treatment, which is CPAP. But just like any other treatment, it has to be right for the person that is being treated. And it doesn't work for everyone. So there are different kinds of sleep apnea, for example. There's obstructive and central sleep apnea. And so obstructive is the one that I described already. And central is where the, the body doesn't send the signal to breathe. And so in people who have a lot of these central apneas, this device does not work very well. This device doesn't work very well for people who have a lot of obesity. So at a certain degree of it, it doesn't work as well. Those who have neurological problems or those who might already have a pacemaker in place for heart reasons. And so what we really try to do in our Yale Sleep Apnea program, which houses the Yale Inspire program, is make sure that we select the right patient for the treatment and have an informed discussion about what the risks and benefits are for each patient, whether it's the right therapy. Because there are other therapies other than Inspire that are not CPAP. With Inspire, it involves an implant. Could you describe mm-hmm. what that is all about, where it goes and how big it is? And so the Inspire program at Yale, I work with two talented surgeons, Dr. Cardoso and Dr. Lee, and they're the ones who do the actual implantation. But essentially what it is, is that you have a device that essentially acts as a, as a battery or a generator of the electrical stimulus that causes the tongue to move. And that's probably about the size of two silver dollars. And that gets implanted under the skin on the right side of the chest. And then there's a wire that goes from that device under the skin, under on the neck, and then hooks on to the nerve that controls the tongue movement. And so that's what the amazing surgeons do. And then the electrical pulse gets sent from the generator to the nerve, and then the nerve moves the tongue forward. And so it really is a surgery. It's a daytime surgery. There are two incisions small and intracellular incisions on the chest and a small incision underneath the mandible or underneath the jaw, and uh, the rest is under the skin. Can you actually see the device in the chest, or is it far enough under the skin that you can't see it? You can see if you're looking for it. For some women, for example, who wear stressed dresses, that mm-hmm. may be a concern. And if you go to the beach and you don't wear a, a T-shirt, you probably will see it. But these things are actually, over time, have been getting smaller and smaller. And so the, the original device, now the current device is now about 25% smaller than it was originally. And so what we found of the people who get them implanted, most aren't necessarily as worried about the appearance after it because their sleep has improved markedly. What do you say to people? This is a little off the beaten track, as I know we're talking about Inspire, and of course we'll get back to that. But what do you say to people who say to you, well, I might have sleep apnea, but how bad can it be? I'm not dealing with that. What could happen to them as a result of untreated sleep apnea? You know, I encounter um, individuals like this in clinic all the time, every day. And it makes sense. A lot of the patients that I see come to see me because their spouse or partner are bringing them to see me. The patient feels fine. He's like, I feel great. But then the spouse says, well, you're actually snoring. You stop breathing at night. And I worry about you. I think that the verdict is still out. We don't know exactly what happens to individuals with something called mild sleep apnea, where the number of times they stop breathing per night is on the lower side. But what we know for those individuals that have severe or moderate sleep apnea, where there's a lot of degree of low oxygen and they wake up quite a bit at night, we know that those individuals, if left untreated, can develop diabetes at a higher rate, 
we know that the stroke is much more prevalent in those individuals. And that's one of my um, mentors at Yale had uh, discovered that link, Dr. Kalyagi. And we know that irregular rhythms are harder to treat. And we also know that cognitive function, so memory, yeah. concentration, are impaired. And one of the analogies I use when I speak with my patients is that when I was younger, I went to see a doctor and they said, oh, you need glasses. I think the vision's not that great. And I said, eh, you know, it's actually, I think I'm fine. I don't need them. <laughs> I think I can do this fine. And then, you know, so I, I went ahead and got the glasses and I put them on. And then and I saw what I didn't see before. I was like, oh my gosh, I was missing all of this. <laughs> oh. I didn't even realize what the problem was. And, and so this is what I sort of helped tell my patients is that sometimes you don't realize what the problem is because you've been living it for such a long time and you've adapted and your body's adapted. And so once you have that address, you might see the world in a new way. That's a great story. Is there any evidence to suggest that if you have mild sleep apnea, that it can worsen over time or something traumatic can happen, perhaps that would worsen the condition? Yeah, it depends on that person. As we age, our muscles become a little less responsive to stimuli and so the airway tends to collapse more. And so for many people, mild sleep apnea can worsen over time. The other things that happen is that as we get older or as the time goes on, you can gain weight. As the weight is gained, there is some distribution of fatty tissue around the throat and around the tongue that makes the collapse more likely and makes the apnea worse. Over time with age or with some sort of development of new medical condition like obesity or heart disease, sleep apnea could certainly get worse. So what I do when I talk to my patients with mild sleep apnea is I just try to understand what the goals of their treatment are. Why are they in my office? How can I help them? Are we trying to treat snoring? Are we trying to make them feel more alert and be able to concentrate more during the day? If somebody has mild sleep apnea and they feel completely fine and they don't feel like they need anything improved. And I say, you know, I think we can certainly watch it. Why don't I see you in a year? See how you do. I was going to say, see if you're still married in a year. If you're still married. <laughs> <laughs> if you get Inspire and you have the implant, is there a device that is put bedside that helps implement? So actually, the, the way that Inspire works is you need a remote control. And the remote control is essentially the size of, let's say, a computer mouse. It has three buttons. And you turn the device on, you turn the device off, you can adjust how much stimulus your tongue needs to move forward. Oh. And that's what people do. And so essentially what happens is you take this remote control in the evening time when you get ready to go to bed and to fall asleep. You put it over the device, you turn on the button, you hear a little beep of a sound, and you get a little twitch in the tongue muscle. And then you go to sleep. And usually we set it so that 10 to 15 minutes or maybe half an hour at most before the device comes on so people can fall asleep in their natural state. And then the device goes on while the person is asleep. It's a so bad... Make sure you turn it off in the morning. Because I've had patients who went to... Uh, stayed in the hotel and they went to a, a meeting in the morning at, at, their, at their conference and all of a sudden, oh, God, something feels funny. Uh, my tongue is still moving. <laughs> So you got to make sure you turn it off. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Now, how long does the uh, battery in the implanted device last? So the battery in the implanted device lasts somewhere between 10 to 12 years. We are just starting to see individuals who need uh, replacement of their generators, the purposes of the battery. And that generally should, is not a complicated procedure. 
of the patients that we implant in our center, we haven't had any replacements yet. And my colleagues from Pittsburgh and other locations who have done this a little bit longer have said that they have not really had any trouble replacing the, the generator. And again, this would be a daytime surgical procedure mm-hmm. so the ear, nose, and throat. Stuff. Is there a cure, per se, for sleep apnea? Would there be a way of someone with sleep apnea suddenly not needing any of these devices after yeah. treatment? That's an outstanding question, and it's a hard one to answer. And so there's a few layers to, to that. So if sleep apnea is caused by a particular condition or something that predisposes to it, and if that is addressed, then sleep apnea can be corrected or cured. Mm. So for example, we have patients with heart failure, and when the heart failure is adequately treated, their sleep apnea can improve to the point that it may not need treatment. Now, for most people, that turns out to not be the case. But for most people with obstructive sleep apnea, oftentimes weight is brought up as a factor. And what we know is that for every kilogram of weight loss, then sleep apnea severity goes down by about one event per hour. And so just to describe you what what that looks like is, you know, normally most humans will stop breathing about zero to five times per night per hour. Every hour, if you stop breathing one to five times per night, that's considered normal. 5 to 15 is considered mild, 15 to 30 is considered moderate, and greater than 30 is considered severe. So if you can imagine if someone has severe sleep apnea, for example, or even moderate sleep apnea, they would have to lose 20 kilograms or about 45 pounds before making a significant dent in the sleep apnea severity. And so what I often recommend is that people do things in parallel. We treat the sleep apnea, but we also work on the weight, which is critical. And I can't emphasize this enough, weight loss has many benefits beyond sleep apnea. I think that doing things in parallel is, is helpful. There are surgeries that can be done that can cure sleep apnea, and the surgery that does this is quite invasive. Essentially, surgeons have to break the top and bottom part of the face and advance it. You know, we usually don't recommend that unless someone has really had a hard time with all the other treatments. Wow. Wow. That yeah. <laughs> that does sound a little extreme. It's, it is extreme. That's right. I mean, it makes people look better. I mean, wow. <laughs> some people have done studies looking at the appearance of individuals after that surgery and they said, oh, wow, they're more attractive. Wow. Maybe it was what study. meant to be, right? Are there side effects that you have noticed in people who have Inspire? There are side effects. You know, just like there's no free lunch, right? And so just with any treatment, there's going to be side effects. And probably the most common side effect is discomfort of the tongue. Because the tongue moves forward, it tends to slide over the teeth, and that can be uncomfortable for people. About one in 10 individuals may feel like they wake up more at night, and the device keeps them awake. And so what we do is then work with those individuals to make sure that the settings are correct and have them come back to our clinic to fix that. And we can do fix that most of the time. You know, in some rare cases, you know, maybe one in a thousand or so, because it is a surgery and we are going into part of the neck and the nerve is there, so we could potentially damage a nerve that controls part of the lip or part of the face. But that's been exceedingly rare. Really, most of the people who end up getting this device feel like it's better tolerated than the device. The one thing I do have to say is that it is very important that we select the right individual, the right patient for it, because even with the current selections that we do, about one third of the patients that get implanted don't have their sleep apnea markedly improved, meaning that their number of times they stop breathing at night decreases by, by less than 50%. Wow. 
it's that's an important thing to, to consider. It's a great device. It might be the right choice for the right individual, but it's really important to know that it's not a silver bullet. It is a great tool to have in our toolbox. Let's talk about cost. I do understand mm-hmm. that in many cases, insurance does cover it. Yes. And so that's actually really important. For individuals to get this device, they really have to have medical insurance. The approximate cost of the device with surgery and everything else in the nation in general, I think, is around thirty to $40,000, which is a lot, a large sum of money. And so, of course, insurance companies want to make sure that the device is effective before we, yeah. we, we go ahead and implant the device. And so for most people who have insurance, the device is covered. And so most large insurance carriers, Medicare, tends to cover it. It is a tough situation and we're trying to figure out how to do this for folks who have different kinds of insurance, for example, Medicaid. And we've had some success with that. It is, it is a challenge. And if someone wants to find out more about Inspire, where would they go and what would they do? One of the places to learn more about Inspire is to just visit the website of the manufacturer. Is go to inspiresleep.com and it's a great resource and it's wonderful and helpful for people to learn about it. But what I would suggest is it's really important for them to talk to their healthcare provider because just like any treatment, you need to make sure that it's the right one for you and it might work for you. And to help people understand what Inspire is and to figure out if they're a candidate, what we've done at Yale is we've created the Upper Airway Simulation Program at Yale. And oh. it's a multidisciplinary program that consists of sleep providers like myself, and we have an APRN that works with us, and includes ear, nose, and throat doctors like Dr. Cardoso and Dr. Lee, and includes the Inspire representatives that help us with the implantation and activation of the device. It includes nurses and coordinators to help take care of the patients. And there's also a, a Dr. Amit Khanna. Dr. Khanna out of New London is from the UNI and hospital that's working with us. And so we have a group that essentially meets on a monthly basis, goes over every patient, every candidate, and discusses whether they're a good candidate or not, and what can we do to make them a better candidate, and how do we ensure that the device is working for them. What I'd recommend is that you, the patients, potential patients, talk to their provider. And if your provider doesn't know, much about it, please give us a call at the uh, ELC Center and we can find a way to get you the answers. If we want to go online and find out more about the sleep center at Yale, what will we do? Mm-hmm. Googling Yale Medicine, Sleep Medicine Program, and it will take you to a uh, Yale Medicine webpage where you can see our specialists and read a little bit about our services. You can uh, pick out myself, Dr. Andres Inchuk, and contact our office that way. Anything else you want to add before we conclude? I hope that people pay attention to their sleep. And it is something that all of us do. It is something that is an absolute requirement for healthy living. And it's something that oftentimes gets neglected. We oftentimes borrow from sleep to get work done, to get good stuff done, to take care of something else. But getting your sleep on the right track can really help you become a more efficient, more engaged, and a, a healthier human being. And so I would encourage people to just pay attention to that. And if you're having trouble with sleep, look around, reach out to our sleep center, or even look around at uh, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine or the National Sleep Foundation website to see what you can do to help yourself sleep better and be a, a more efficient, stronger, and more interactive human being.